Good evening. I've been practicing that because I've got so used to saying good morning, and I hadn't said good evening in a long time. So, all right, we're off to a good start. You know what? There's no place I'd rather be than right here, right now, with you, on this side of eternity, right? On this side of eternity. Hey, we, uh, I want to start by kind of a polling the audience and asking you a question. How many of you actually like roller coasters? Roller coasters, yeah. I am surprised at the number of hands that went up. Y'all are broken. <laughs> May have to redirect tonight's sermon um, to see if we can't put some of y'all back together. I don't know. I do not understand people like you. Why would you pay money? Pay money to go to a place that's miserably hot or miserably cold and stand in line and wait for hours on end to ride a ride that just makes you feel sick. I don't understand. Anyway, I digress. Last summer we went to SeaWorld, and lo and behold, the begging eyes of my son convinced me to get on a roller coaster after a lot of years. And I really thought that I could handle it better than I did. We took a ride on the Steel Ill, I think it was called. I don't know, Braxton would probably remember it. Um, and, and we had the, the, full, the full roller coaster experience. Maybe it probably wasn't as intense as some of the ones that y'all liked, but you know, you know how it is. You get on the roller coaster, and you're kind of excited, and you've seen people um, zooming by, and you think, well, that maybe does look like fun. I could handle that some. And so you get in, and you buckle in, and they check the seat, and then up you head. Click, and you're seeing all of SeaWorld, and it's really beautiful, and then you get up to the top, and you know the moment's about to come, and then I realized that I am 37, and I have no business being on a roller coaster, and Braxton was seven, and he had no business being on a roller coaster, and so together we grabbed onto each other, and we held on for dear life to the end of the ride, and it whipped us one way and whipped us another way, and we stumbled off, and he said, man, Dad, that was cool, and I said, oh, I think I'm going to throw up. Life's kind of like a roller coaster, isn't it? Some of us are having fun, <laughs> some of us are sick, and we want to throw up. And, and, and some of, we're all at different places on this ride that we're on. At times we get to see some really cool things, and there's times when all we can do is hold it together. feels like sometimes we're yanked around back and forth, and there's just involuntary screams that come out. And there's other times that we get to enjoy the view and have conversations with our seatmate. Maybe a better way to put it is like this. Life has rhythms to it, seasons, and, and during these seasons we experience a lot of different emotions. As I look at the Psalms, I see that there's a psalm written to reach us no matter, no matter where we might find ourselves. You know, I think especially within the churches of Christ, we've trained ourselves maybe to read scripture in a way that's notably devoid of emotion. So our approach, the command, example, necessary inference, causes us to read with this sort of end in mind that um, has no place for our personal feelings and instead leaves us only focused in on finding objective truth. Now, don't, hear, don't mishear me. I think that is very important. It's not totally off base. We read scripture to find truth. That is one of the things that we're searching for. But as we read scripture, there's, 
There's more to it than that. It's more complex than that. We're not only looking just for truth. We're looking to connect the truth with our experience, to rightly fit the emotions that we experience during this trip of life, to process and understand who we are and and why things are the way that they are and who God is and, and what we should do about it all. You know, I think part of my job in preaching is to help you connect the objective truth of Scripture with the experiences that you're living out every day. You see, I want Scripture to be more than just a feeling for you. It certainly reveals truth. But I want it to be something that also reaches you where you're at, that that reaches your feelings, that connects your human experience, the emotions that you have with the truth of God's Word. Now, we know that we need history books and law books and science books to live. We've gained a lot from those. But we also inherently know that it's important to paint pictures and write poetry and sing songs. I believe that those are just as important as the other things. And that's the reason as we open God's word, we see that he's provided us a lot of different types of literature. And Psalms is one of those. It's the poetry of scripture, the early hymnal of God's people. And it's just as inspired and it's just as God breathed as all of scripture. It's designed just to meet us in some different places. I believe it was written to reach us, to connect with us, to connect us with God during all of our different seasons and emotions in life. Now, it can feel a little disconnected. It can feel a little random at times. If, if you're like me, you often just read through Psalms and it's just kind of pick of the litter and you're not sure what you're going to get. So I want to try to help give it some structure. I want to give you a way to, to think about the book of Psalms. Over the next five weeks... On Sunday evenings, we're going to take this emotional ride through Psalms, and we're going to look at five different types, well, really four different types from from five different angles that speak to the different stages that we have in life. Perhaps my analogy of a roller coaster was a little off, because while life certainly isn't predictable, it has a pattern to it, uh, more of a pattern to it than we would like to admit. So if we step back and we just kind of observe what we see in the landscape of life, we see that there are cycles that we go through, seasonal cycles, and an an overall direction that we are heading. So the the, the rhythms of life is is what I see. I I have this vision in my head, and I don't know if you can see it with me, of of waves. And the the waves are, are heading in a direction... They're definitely, they're definitely moving in a place, but what we see is these repeated ups and downs and the cycles of life that we experience. So if we look at the big picture, we see that the general movement should be from immaturity to maturity. Now, my wife would debate that one, as would my coworkers, and say that I have been stuck and I have failed to mature, but I want to tell you all I'm working on it. For some of us, the movement is slower than others. But it's important that we are moving in that direction. But within that movement are cycles that we all experience. There's an Old Testament scholar, Walter Brueggemann, and he puts it this way. He says we move from orientation through disorientation and then back to reorientation. I want you to think about that a little bit and see if you can see it in your life. You know, how do we kind of start life? And when we're a teenager, we're pretty smart. We have everything figured out. So that would be the stage number one. But then one day we we wake up and we realize we don't have things as figured out as we thought that we did. 
That's this period of disorientation. And then as we mature and we move through life, we find that as we figure things out, they look similar maybe than they did at the beginning, but they also look very different. And that's this period of reorientation. So I think on a big scale, we go through this process, and we also go through this process in a lot of different cycles of life on a smaller scale. So while this may seem pretty evident to us in things like finances or, or parenting or work, we find that it also happens in our spiritual lives. So we see that we begin our spiritual walk as an excited and new Christian. And then we go through periods where we're struggling and discouraged and asking really hard questions. And then as we move through those periods, we find that on the other side is this place of reorientation where there's, I would say, joy instead of happiness, this a stable place of landing, this mature Christian faith that we end up with. You know, we're going to follow this journey together through the Psalms over the next five weeks. I've selected different Psalms of, of different types to help catch us and engage us no matter where we're at in this cycle of life. So this week we're going to start in Psalm 100 with a Psalm of praise. And next week we're going to go to Psalm 13 and look at a Psalm of lament. And then the 23rd Psalm, a Psalm of trust. And then the 30th Psalm, a Psalm of thanks. And we're going to end with a Psalm of praise, Psalm 148. So one of these five lessons is for sure going to catch you where you're at. And four of these lessons are going to remind you where you came from or point you forward to where you're going. So I'm excited about this series. Let's begin tonight's text, um, Psalm 100, this psalm of praise, and read it together. Psalm 100. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name, for the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. What a beautiful and short song. You know, unlike our songs that use, often use rhyming to connect, the Psalms often use parallelism, patterns within the structure that help reinforce and, and make a point. And as I look at this psalm, at this text, I, I hope you'll keep your Bibles or devices open to it. I'm going to put it on the screen, but I see four main ideas that emerge, and each of them have under them these supporting or reinforcing um, elements. And I want to look at each of these in turn and, and really marvel together at what we see. It begins in verses 1 and 2. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Now, as I look out at the actual world around me, this is not the reality I see. It doesn't seem like the whole earth is making a joyful noise to the Lord. But I think back at periods in my life, especially as a new Christian, when, when I first began, and, and all that I felt was this feeling of, wow, Look, can you believe this? I mean, everyone in the world should be shouting praise. Every animal, every rock, certainly every human. And I think that this is where the psalmist is trying to connect with us and pull us back to. He's saying, do you remember those periods in your life when it was all about him? When the things that you did were for him and the words that you say, they came out as songs to him. 
when, the whole, when, you, when you could see and felt excited and couldn't understand why the rest of the world didn't see it too. When you had the, the pure, real, true awe and wonder that we should have. How many of you remember a feeling like this when you came up out of the waters of baptism? That's the feeling that I think the psalmist was trying to capture. This is the young love, can't eat, can't sleep, can't make it without you. I certainly can't understand how anyone else would feel any different type of feeling. And so what makes you cry out this way? What makes you experience this type of emotion? What causes you to see so clearly what it seems that others can't? And I believe that's answered in the next verse. In verse 3 he says, Know that the Lord, He is God. It's He who made us and we are His. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. You see, it's our knowledge of Him that moves us to respond this way. It's when we see clearly for the first time. It's when the, the light bulb turns on and we connect those existential dots. And after asking these big, big questions, we ask, where did I come from? And why am I here? And how did all of this come to be? You know, the world has answers for those questions. They're often discouraging and unsatisfying and incomplete. The world that we live in wants the joy that's spoken of in verses 1 and 2, but they don't want the God that's spoken of in verse 3. But the psalmist knows it's impossible. It's impossible to experience joy if you don't understand that there is a Creator God. If you don't understand that this God that created us is concerned about the state of his people like a shepherd that cares for his sheep, there is no way to find lasting joy if that is not the case. You know, every single worldview that attempts to explain the existence, our existence, without God, it collapses into hopelessness. With nothing bigger out there, there is no purpose, and with his, when there is no purpose, there's no hope or reason for doing anything. But the flip side is this. The flip side is, is brought out in this psalm. If we were deliberately made by the Almighty Creator, and if He cares about us, not in a utilitarian way, not in a way like a, like a, like a, a, a maker makes a clay pot and then just puts it to work, but, but in a shepherding way, like the, like the keeper of a flock keeps his sheep. If that's the type of relationship we have with this almighty creator, then we can find life and pleasure and comfort and purpose and protection. We find the attitudes of verses 1 and 2, singing and service and joy that bubbles over. When you feel verse 3 in your soul, when you really sit on this verse and you let it sink in, what is being sung, it's humbling. And it's powerful. And this right here is what I believe Scripture, all of Scripture, is seeking to reveal to us. Where we came from. And what our relationship with the Creator is. You know, we know a lot more of the story than the psalmist did. But even he could see the foundational elements that were in place. He didn't yet know how far God was going to go to protect his sheep. But God knew even thousands of years prior, when this inspired verse was penned, he knew that he would lay down his life for the sheep. Because he made us. And we are his. We are his people. And we live in his pasture. 
And he has a special relationship with us. So what would your response to, to this truth, to this realization be? Well, I think it would be another resounding, wow, can, look at this. Can you believe this? I think everyone should see this. And that's where the psalmist takes us next into verse 4. He says, let's enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and bless his name. It causes us to be drawn towards him. And the psalmist invokes this royal imagery of gates and courts. So I think it's important that we don't get so lost in the relationship we have with him that we forget that we're talking about the almighty creator of the universe. Can you picture yourself doing this? Entering his gates? You know, when we used to live out in the country, one of the first things that we did when we built our house was we installed a gate. And it kept our stuff in. And it kept all the other people out. And if you came to visit, we would give you a code. And with that code, you could get in. But if you didn't have the code, the gate wasn't opening for you. And you weren't coming in. Well, God has gates. He has courts. There's structure. He is deity. And we can never lose sight of the fact that he's Lord. He's royalty. He's bigger. He's more powerful. He's worthy of respect and glory and honor. And he's gated off and he's surrounded by courts. But we enter them. And we don't enter his courts with trembling. We've been studying Esther. Imagine what it was like for Esther to walk into King Ahasuerus. That's not the way that we approach this king. That's not the way that we enter these courts. That's not at all what the psalmist says. He says we enter his courts with praise. We enter with, with thanks outflowing. We enter blessing him. Again, I draw you back to this moment when you were baptized. The moment when you first saw it. The moment when he was everything to you. Oh, the seasons of life in their purity. When we stand in awe before the almighty creator God and walk through his gates without a worry, singing songs of praise in his courts, thankful for all that he has done. And if we set aside the thesaurus, and if we searched for the right word to describe this, I think we would land on a very simple but profoundly deep word. And it would be this, good. For the Lord is good, and his steadfast love endures forever, and his faithfulness to all generations. This is ultimately why. Because we see, and we feel, and we know that we serve a God who is so, so good. You see, we aren't entering the courts of a tyrant. We aren't entering the courts of someone that's seeking to promote any agenda except the agenda of genuine goodness. In fact, it's only because of his being good that we even know what good is. And here is how we would define it. Enduring steadfast love and enduring faithfulness. In other words, we serve a God who is going to do what he said he would do. And all of these actions are motivated by this unshakable, unshrinkable, never-expiring commitment to His people, and that's you. So let's read it together again. Psalm 100. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into His presence with singing. Know that the Lord, He is God, and it is He who made us, and we are His. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and bless his name. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever. And his faithfulness to all generations. 
As we wrap up, I, I want you to pause with me now and consider all that we've just read and sung about. A good, eternally faithful and loving God who created us. A God who owns us and cares for us and provides for us. That calls us into his presence. That calls us into his courts where we sing and serve and give thanks. I hope tonight's a good reminder. A reminder to not lose the childlike wonder of these very real actualities about our relationship with the almighty creator God. Just like the psalm moves us towards God, may we constantly be drawn into his courts, into his presence. And just like the psalm uses our knowledge of him as the basis for our praise, may we, may we rightly discern and always seek to learn more about him so that we could bless him more. And just like the psalm bubbles over with praise, may we wake up every day in awe of his glory. And that would cause us to send every action and every word his way. I would summarize the psalm like this. To know him is to praise him, for he is so, so good. I'm not sure where you're at in the rhythms of life. I would guess a handful of you are right here. I would guess a lot of you aren't. Maybe you're young and seeing God for the first time, and this is where you are, and this is how you feel, and that's an exciting place to be. Maybe you're older, and you're seeing God for the first time, and this is where you are. That's an exciting place to be. It's a real place to be. These are real things about a real God that we serve. And, and you feel this psalm deeply, and you want to stand up, and you want to shout to the world, Join me! Don't you see? Praise Him! He's good! This psalm stands as a, a monument to the periods in our life when we are oriented to the realities around us. Maybe that's not where you are in your rhythm at all. And if not, that's okay too. The psalms teach us how to hurt in front of God. And next week, that's what we're going to look at. We're going to look at these times when we are disoriented and we struggle. But for this week, I want to remind you. I want to draw you back through this psalm of praise to this very true, very real and easy to forget reality about God. For while we go through rhythms, His steadfast love endures forever. And it follows us through life, and it calls us into His courts, and He cares for us as His sheep. So even if you are hurting tonight, tonight I call you to remember who He is, what He has done, and what He's promised. To know Him is to praise Him, for He is so, so good. The week ahead, it's a blank slate. And it's my prayer that you use it well for the glory of God. Thank you for being here tonight. If you have any need at this time, we would offer an invitation. We invite you to come forward as we stand and sing.